Blog Talk Radio. Stops abruptly. Hey, everybody. This is Janine, and you're listening to Lunch with Loudon. Coffee Party Internet Radio is a part of the Be the Media Project. For a complete list of the Coffee Party Radio Network shows, go to www.coffeepartyusa.com, click on Radio Shows, and consider joining our team. Be the Media. So today's a very exciting day for me. Um, my topic today is journalism and activism, the witness and the witnessed. And our guest today is journalist Cheryl Hatch. She's going to help us understand the difference. So full disclosure, Cheryl and I have known each other for over 20 years. She was my husband's journalism student. Uh, she was a, an older than average student and I was a younger than average wife. <laughs> We met when she returned from Iraqi Kurdistan during Desert Storm, and I have had the pleasure of witnessing Cheryl's career evolve over all of that time. Uh, she's just back from Standing Rock, and she will be attending the Women's Rally in Washington, D.C. on January 21st. She will attend as a journalist, and I will attend as an activist. I hope today we can explore our different roles at that important uh, event. And normally, I introduce my guests, but given our topic today, uh, I'd like Cheryl to introduce herself. I will say she is a journalist, a photographer, an educator, and a philanthropist. So welcome to Lunch with Loudon, Cheryl. Thank you, Janine. Thanks for inviting me. So oh, now... My pleasure. <laughs> so I teach journalism now, and I continue to practice journalism, but when I start, for example, next semester I'll be teaching a journalism class, which is a basic introduction to the practice of journalism and news writing, and then I'm teaching a photojournalism class. I start in the first day of class by asking the students what they know about me. They'll want to find out if you did your homework or if you've practiced journalism. So if I'm going to be standing up in front of the classroom and leading a discussion and working with the students to create a class, then they say, wouldn't you like to know if I have the credentials, if I'm legitimate? Uh, do I deserve to be in the front of the room talking about journalism? So, and in having that conversation, I'm able to, on the first day, introduce them to some key practices of journalism. So I say, okay, who knows anything about me? There's a lot of different ways in advance they could have found out about me. They might have typed me into a search and found, you know, a link to my nonprofit website, or they might have typed me in and found a link to my blog or a link to my uh, website that shows my photography. Okay, that's one way to do it, research. Uh, another way would be observation. So look at me. What can you determine about me by looking at me? 
and we have a discussion about the distinction between assumptions, right? You might look at me and make an assumption, but then you need to ask a question, interview, in order to get the information. So you could walk in and say, oh, I see you have a diploma from Oregon State, or, oh, I see you're not wearing a wedding ring. So you can't assume that I'm not married. Uh, some people don't wear wedding rings, so you need to ask. Or jewelry can be particularly telling. People often wear jewelry for sentimental reasons. So in that first uh, day of class, you can learn what a journalist does. You go to a situation, you do your research in advance and on the ground, you make observations, and you ask questions to expand your understanding and to gather information, and then you verify what you've witnessed and documented in research. So that's day one in, in any class that I teach. And I'm, I'm excited about this topic today because it's got uh, so many avenues, actually, to explore. But I think with the new um, generation and with younger people, sometimes there's this confusion between journalism and activism. Like, you must say, I'm an activist journalist. And I was saying, no, you cannot have activists and journalists side by side as a profession because they're different, uh, they're different activities. So if you're a journalist, you're not an activist. Now, that's my position. Uh, excellent. And we'll get more into that. Now, if I had done my homework about you, Cheryl, why don't you take just a minute to say, what would we have found at your private nonprofit? What is that? What is your blog site and what is your photo site? What are you doing so, today? <laughs> so my photo site, which ideally in this coming year I'm going to redesign it and sort of centralize these various aspects of my career so that I'm not living in different places as writer, photojournalist, and philanthropist. But the website is Isis Photos, and that is named after uh, the Egyptian goddess. And then the um, nonprofit is Isis Initiative, Inc., and that is a program that I created in 2008 to help offer scholarships and resources to women overseas who have a desire to go to college but don't have the resources. And they go to college there in their communities. And so our first recipient, for example, she, she was able to finish school and become a teacher, and she helped send her nephew to school, and she adopted a child. So a little bit of support can go a long way. Um, my blog is North to the number two, the future.wordpress.com. And that I write a weekly or regular column for a local newspaper and I'll, I'll repost columns there. So those are my those are my professional aspects. Educator, journalist and photojournalist and philanthropist. But they all and tie, today tie you're up teaching? around no, go ahead. Oh, I did say and today you're teaching where, but I didn't I missed a oh, bit here, yeah, <laughs> I'm teaching at Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina. So, yeah, I um, will be working on my syllabi for next semester and fine-tuning them. But today I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, and I'm sure more of your uh, background will come up as we're talking because I think that you have a very interesting body of work that will touch on this question, um, activism versus journalism. And, um, 
that, you know, I think that's going to be fun. So I do want to remind listeners uh, that if you'd like to comment or ask questions, the call-in number is 646-929-2495, and then you press 1 to be put in the host queue. Some people just listen on the phone, so if there's a phone number there um, and there's no one up, then I'm assuming you're listening and not asking to speak. So uh, by all means, feel free to uh, interrupt at any point, ask a question, make a comment. We're ready to go. So, Cheryl, let's start out with the whole concept, the witness and the witnessed. What does that mean to you? Well... So for me, I think that journalism is a craft and a practice and a calling. And what I learned early in my career was that um, it does not have a set of strict rules the way a lawyer can be brought up before the bar or um, the way a doctor can be charged with malpractice. So journalists have code of conduct and a code of ethics and they hold themselves to this code and, and that's where they're accountable. Of course there are legal things if, but we don't need to go there but uh, the idea of being a witness to me says I'm, well there's an expression that says journalism is the first draft of history so wherever I go I'm going to observe and record what's happening and bring that story back. So you can do that as a small town community newspaper, reporter, writer, broadcaster, or you can do that as an international correspondent. And I've done both, but a lot of times I covered conflict in the Middle East and Africa for a significant portion of my career. And I would go to places and I would remember people just saying, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here to see what's going on. And if you think about it, you know, if you don't have someone there in Iraq or in Rwanda or in Bosnia or Charlotte or Detroit, or then you don't have that record. So the, the role of a journalist is to be the witness, the distinction being that you are not a part of the story. You witness the story, record the information, and then carry that story out, broadcast it, share it with a larger audience. But you, unless you're doing a first-person piece, uh, you are not a part of the story. So, for example, if you're going to go to a protest or you're going to go to a news event, for example, you can take the, the march in Washington, D.C. So I'm going to the march. I will be doing interviews and collecting audio and photographing. I'm a journalist. I'm witnessing and recording. You are going as an activist, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming you will be chanting or carrying a sign or wearing a T-shirt with some expression. That, that is you being an activist. You're advocating for something. You're taking a stand for something. You are standing up and expressing an opinion. I will be witnessing and reporting. That's the distinction. And I especially want um, younger people to understand that you can't, you, well, you can do both, but it's not, journalists don't, are not activists. 
it would taint your credibility. You cannot have an agenda. That's the challenge of it. You know, as a private citizen, yes, freedom of speech. And, but as a journalist, no. You're there to witness as the best of your ability to document the events, to gather a broad uh, spectrum of quotes and and then carry it back and distill it and report it and share it. But I, you know, during election season, I don't have bumper stickers. I don't have signs in my yard. I don't wear T-shirts advocating for anyone. So if that helps. Well, I think it's important to say that that um, I know exactly why I'm going to Washington, D.C. And just so that we, for purpose of conversation, I kind of distilled it here. And so I'm going to, share my it's not really my bias but it's my perspective on why I'm going mm-hmm. to be there and so it kind of I can itemize a few things like one is this rally was planned long before the election and it was because the issues the rally focuses on have nothing to do with who is president although some people may feel more urgency the issues were there it, it was planned in response to the tsunami of regressive legislation in a nation and in states, right, whether it's in Congress mm-hmm. or legislature, uh, to ramp back women's rights and access to care. That I believe, I'm going to use the believe word, which is one you don't get to use, the political incentives behind this movement are sourced in minority religious factions that are funded by the donor class in exchange for loyalty. And that groups like ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, was emboldened by Citizens United, and it exists to give donor corporations direct input to the lawmaking process through drafting and suggesting laws to be passed. And what that sums up to is that women are now collateral damage in a sort of modern-day Game of Thrones, you know, where loyalty to the donor class is is emboldening this religious minority to impose all kinds of arcane things on us. So I'm there because that's what I believe. My observation is that's what's true. And I'm going to act accordingly. Now, because I am who I am, because I am a part of Coffee Party, because I've taken the civility pledge, I will do so in uh, ways that don't denigrate others, I will do so in ways that um, don't violate the rights of others. Uh, But nevertheless, I have a pretty strong reason for being there. So maybe you can contrast what you're there to do. Why are you there? Right, and the the interesting thing is that uh, hearing you express your reasons for being there, you could see that that could, if I'm out, as a journalist in the crowd, and I say, okay, why are you here? What brought you here today? And you would say what you just said. And if I rendered it correctly, then that could be a direct quote in a story. Or a journalist could write a first person or even an opinion piece that cited some of these very things that you've just referenced as long as it lives on the opinion page as an editorial so that everyone knows that this is not intended to be uh, news reporting or a news article. This is an opinion piece. So from my side, why am I going? It would take on a, because it's a significant event, uh, 
So it's a significant news event. I'm particularly interested because over the course of my career, I've covered issues uh, around women's issues. So when I cover conflict over time, I came to notice that I focused on the people who are caught in the crossfire, so women and children predominantly. But I also looked at women in the role of soldiers or women in the role of fighters. So I can see it fitting into the broader body of my work that looks at women's issues. But again, I will be going to record voices, both with my pen and with audio, like your voice. So if a reporter from the Washington Post or a reporter from, you know, a local small paper came up to you and said, why are you here? You would probably give an answer similar to the reasons that you just outlined a few moments ago. That would that would right. be journalism. But but I won't have a megaphone, and I won't be wearing a T-shirt that says whatever. Uh, I'll be carrying a <laughs> pen and a pad of paper and a camera. Yeah, that's the difference. And, and it's not always, yeah, I think that's it's not always it's not always easy, right? Because I know that there are even some journalists who don't vote, right? And you have to think, you know, maybe you don't even give money to causes, for example. If you want to keep yourself uh, as neutral as possible. And I always think about the expressions about, you know, Caesar's wife or the minister's daughter or son. You you need to be above and beyond, I don't know what the word is, reproach or... Do your best to not have your intentions and your work be misconstrued. So you don't get to be an advocate for a political cause or an issue and be a journalist. Right, right. And you just pointed to something that I find interesting. I mean, in my own uh, work as a communicator, and and I want to be clear, it's, it's pretty well accepted that there's a whole lot of communication in the world right now, but very little of it is journalism. Um, mm-hmm. That I kind of come up with these three notions because, again, I'm not I'm not educated in this like you are. But there's news, which is reporting and telling the story. There's analysis, which is looking at the reporting others do, and maybe even consolidating various reports and having and saying something, but sourcing them. And then there is opinion. And I, you know, there are times when um, that first person account that you just talked about, you know, you can stumble into that. Like I had a friend who was photographing uh, an Occupy event who ended up being swept up and arrested, even though not participating. And so now there's a first person actual story reporting about that person's experience being arrested, um, you know, for having stood on the curb and take pictures. so that's different, but but I I totally get this difference between news and analysis and opinion, and but I don't see I see those lines so blurred these days that I I almost I don't like being critical of everything I read, but I am a critical reader. You know, mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean that in a conscientious way to try to get to what am I reading? Am I reading something that's sort of presented? like news, but it's really opinion. Am I reading, quite honestly, an opinion? What is, and I think that that's, we're getting a little bit tricked into the notion that um, 
there is no distinction or that if the distinction is opinion, it can be called fake news. Well, no, that's an opinion. Opinions can't be fake news, right? And this whole fake news thing, I think, is being used to denigrate the whole the whole vast world of communication and especially the world of journalism. But I would take exception, or I do take exception with the label or the branding or whatever we want to call it, of fake news. It, it, if it's fake news, then it's lies. Fake and news don't belong. Same way I say journalists and activists don't belong next to each other. News, by its very nature, is truth. Reporting a truth. Reporting a fact. So to say that it's fake news, that's the ridiculous combination. So just call it what it is. You know, lies, for the most part. You know, made up. I don't know. But fake news as a label isn't serving us, I don't think. Because if you're making up well, a story, it is an oxymoron. then it's not yeah. news. <laughs> you know, if you walk out tomorrow and say the sky is falling and it's not, that's not fake news. That's a lie or at least an inaccurate <laughs> rendering. Yeah. No, fake news. We need uh, Oxymoron. It's an oxymoron yeah. the way you just described yes. it. <laughs> I've never actually heard it described like that before, and I really like that. I'm so stealing that, Cheryl, because I, uh, you know, I, I think it's an interesting diversion to have not have to consider a perspective of a, you know, of, of an article. It's to say, ah, this is from blah blah, so it's fake news. Well, you know, I think a stop clock can be right twice a day, so I probably could go through any site that I would never go to and find something that's true. It's, you know, it's just too cheap and easy. I, I, I don't mean that. Well, cheap and mm-hmm. easy is a business phrase. And so I'm a business person, so I use it. But, you know, it's, it's oversimplifying. It's just like when you, when the rhetoric starts being bumper sticker esque. Right. And then the, the, the rebuttal becomes bumper sticker-esque, you know, the fake news charge or the I don't know what charge. And so I do well, it's think also it's the important. Quick, it's also the quick sound bites. It's also the, 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 the languaging of advertising or branding or marketing or messaging or whatever you want to call it. When you put it into quick, uh, small pieces of information and, you know, journalism, I say, uh, both the practice of it and the ingesting, reading, consuming of it, it takes work, right? So, yes, you can go to just one TV broadcast or just one newspaper all the time, but this is something that I also come up against in uh, in teaching is you need to say, okay, there's a variety of sources on a spectrum, you know, some very far left, some far right, some centrist, or a little left, a little right. So ideally, it's almost like, you know, you don't want to go out and eat ice cream all day, every day. You, I would say, you know, you can go to core reputable papers, national or international. Uh, I like to listen to the radio um, and read. So getting your information from different sources, but reliable sources. Or if you're going to go and listen to one source or read one source that skews strongly one way, then 
I would say you need to make a practice of looking for alternative sources. And that way, yeah, you have to think about it and you have to measure what you're reading or seeing. So there, there is some work required on the part, on the part of the, the reader or the viewer, the citizen, right? Right, right. Well, and especially in this day and age of being a citizen journalist. I mean, like, I, I don't call myself a citizen journalist so much, but um, the Be the Media project that I that I, you know, I have this radio show, I do some posting, I do some blogging, but we have some rules of the road. Because as you said, there's no law about this. Uh, journalists uh, operate under standards as opposed to law. And so that's why the, you know, the famous infamous case in Florida where Fox News won in court that news doesn't have to be true. That truth in news is actually a professional standard and not the law so you know but I've taken a I've taken the uh the vow so to speak to never misinform with intention and so uh to I tell you there's nothing like you know broadcasting on internet radio to make me do my homework and be really sure that anything I share can be verified and so the whole idea of you know we learn how to to shred social media in such a way that we look for, can I vet this? Can I replicate this? Is it, where did this come from? What's the source of this one? Now, what's the source of this one? And so while I know I'm not a journalist like you are, I'm not out there uh, interviewing face-to-face or making telephone calls, you know, I get that you can't just be a search-the-web journalist. I can certainly uh, verify the things I believe to be true in in some manner, just like you were saying in the beginning, you know, hey, you're my student. Did you check me out? Who am I? You know, (laughs) did you know this? Did you know that? And, And I think that that's an excellent example of how, you know, chances are most people who come into your class have just talked to other people in the commons. Or other people, you know what I mean? They've done that right. level of, hey, have you ever had Professor Hatch? What's she like? And that's not a bad thing. It's just probably not all-inclusive. And so we learn that um, oh, over time I trust some more than others, but I never stop looking. I never stop looking. And it's because I am committed to questioning myself. And in the process of questioning myself, I can see the need to question everything and then try to share. Like my, the little bit I read earlier about why I'm at the rally, that's totally based on years of refining my perspective on what's happening to, you know, women's access to health care and women's access mm-hmm. to choice. So um, while I don't pretend that that's a story, I am an element of a story. I am someone you would talk to, as you said. So, well, exactly. You're willing to take time, you know, spend the money and the time to bring yourself to the nation's capital to participate with. We'll see how many people it ends up being. But, yeah, you go back to this idea of journalism being the first draft of history, and, and I always thought, you know, these journalists more and more, you know, get a 
bad rap or, you know, I have covered, um, I've been embedded with the military and you can go places and there'll be a pre-disposed uh, way of viewing all journalists are X because of one bad encounter with a journalist. And yes, there are people who do not behave in a reputable or professional manner. But um, I'm just, I've lost my train of thought of what I was trying to say right there. Hmm. But something about um, people may have a preconceived idea about your motivations, and if you look at how the media was called out and denigrated and uh, threatened during the recent election, at the same time, there are other places in overseas when you see journalists literally being targeted now. So when you hear that expression, kill a messenger, shoot the messenger, that's because journalists in their role, that messenger is potentially carrying out facts, figures, stories, pictures, uh, verification of things that some force, some person in power, some would, does not want to see the light of day or does not want people to know. So, uh, yeah, I think it's so important and now more than ever and people, journalists in general, in different places, they put their lives on the line to do this work, to be the eyes and the ears of well, let's talk about the United States, for the citizens of the United States, because not everybody can go to Afghanistan and not everybody can go to Iraq and not everybody can follow the presidential campaign and be there in person. So these are people, journalists, you know, who, who are trained, committed to the ethics and the protocol and, you know, give up a lot to bring back those stories and images to help educate and inform the public. And that is different from activism. Sure, activists put their lives on the line as well. Different set of principles and agenda than a journalist. But that's the only thing. That's why I'm so happy about this conversation today is to say that they both serve vital uh, roles, but they are not. Uh, they're not the same thing. And and yeah. That makes sense. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, especially because truly, um, an activist of making news. So, mm -hmm. what good is what we do if you're not there? <laughs> I mean, right. I went to the rally to restore sanity back in 2010, and the local paper. This was in D.C. It was the one that was sponsored by John Stewart and um, Colbert, Stephen Colbert, and the local paper correctly reported that there were like 250,000 people there, right? And so that was our witness, that that, that many people could come together over this uh, almost generic concern uh, about, you know, the fear that, that the news was becoming fear-based as opposed to fact-based. And that was sort of because, remember, it was the rally to restore sanity, the rally to restore fear. It was like the black and white, the theater uh, kind of uh, the theater mask thing, the comedy tragedy mask. And um, so, yeah, it was our intent to make news. And it was a big learning experience for me because if you went to 
um, a newspaper 100 miles away, there were 100,000 people. And if you went to a newspaper in, you know, Sacramento, there were 40,000 people. Or you went to some news site. And you know what I mean? It was all different. And I thought, well, that's interesting because I don't think those people were there. <laughs> you know, the, the Washington Post folks were there. They had the aerial photography. You could see them all totally jammed from Congress to the Washington Monument. <laughs> and so right. it was interesting to me to see the various interpretations of the same event. And then that really opened my mind to looking at how people are kind of re- are capable of reporting in a way that that reinforces what they believe before they started. And so that means that, you know, journalists can be guilty of confirmation bias. Journalists are people. Um, yeah, they make that, mistakes too. And, right. And so the thing is that it's not necessarily a malice, but it is human. And I think the better a journalist, the I don't want to say they're less human, that would have followed, wouldn't it? But but the more they understand that they are human, that they have biases, and therefore they have a challenge to see through that in order right. to and actually the report. Maybe bias and uh, beat, for example, or when you've made a mistake, you need to be held accountable, or you're willing to out yourself and say, you know, I, I didn't get that right, or I've learned more information and I can see that that was not accurate. But so from my perspective, I would say, for example, over my years of covering conflict or over my years of working as a journalist, there are, there's a body of work that I have and there's a theme or themes that I work on or, you know, in some sense you would say a beat. So the, the, the I've also teach a class in beat reporting, which would be more advanced, which is you could have a crime reporter, an education reporter, you know, football reporter, anything where people develop an, an area of expertise and focus long-term on, you know, so you're going to have somebody, if you're in Boston, that focuses only on the Patriots or the Red Sox or somebody in Seattle who rather than covering all football, covers the Seahawks. Or if you're an education reporter, you're going to cover the local school districts K through 12, or maybe you focus on higher education. So the, the, there's a distinction there that you could focus your reporting or your, your work over time. And then that's actually a good thing if you have the capacity to do it because then you will you will establish a, a knowledge base, you'll have a network, you'll you'll be steeped in a certain area of information. Of course you'll still have to be vigilant for potential bias, but I I tell students as well, you know, there used to be this idea you want to be objective as a journalist. Well objectivity is an illusion. Objectivity is not possible because if you look at me, I'm a woman uh, with a certain background, right? So I'm a military brat. I'm of a certain generation. I, you know, have a certain level of education. So all of that informs my personal experience. And so when journalism is done right, you want people from different uh, backgrounds and ages and uh, cultures and ethnicities, you want different voices all contributing. So rather than say, I need you to be objective 
I need you to be fair and accurate and authentic. But objectivity is an illusion. So, for example, over time, you see my work focused on women, and you see my work focused on the cost of conflict, and you see my work focused on the environment. A lot of these things come out of who I am as a human being. So that I would go and cover Standing Rock is also just a part of issues and I guess you could call it the beat photographically that, that I've been covering for the for the bulk of my my career. So you can as a journalist have areas of interest and so you're not going to declare yourself an activist, but you can focus on areas of interest. So per, perhaps you're interested in child marriages or you're interested in the environment or you're interested in climate change or you're interested in, you might have a knowledge base and a driving uh, passion or for covering certain themes. Now, that's, would be okay because you're not advocating. So, but you are focusing your professional energy and talent in certain areas. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, the whole idea that a reporter would have a beat, that the beat could be self-determined, and it would mm-hmm. uh, inform their body of work. And you, you know, you start with interest because you are a human being and you do have interests, but you know that what they are, you've identified them. And then because of that interest, you develop an, uh, your level of expertise and your knowledge base. And so you really become a very informed and aware witness. So, yeah, for you, your beat has very much been, especially in the cost of conflict work, uh, what happens to the widows and orphans? What happens in a country after war? What happens uh, when women are called to war. I, I don't consider that a bias as much as a focus. And right. as and long as we're clear... Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I just think you need to be clear that that's what's up. Right, and I was thinking, so I could be more specific for listeners to, to say that, you know, that I did grow up in a military family and that my dad served two tours in Vietnam, so things that left an impact on me from my childhood, I wouldn't have known early on that those experiences were guiding me as a journalist, as a human being with curiosity and said, well, what is this thing, war, and what happens in war? And then, you know, you go to one war and you see what happens, and then, you know, I remember going to Liberia for the Civil War and then having that experience and documenting that situation and then then it refined my perspective and sort of guided me from from there. So I do, you know, I, I, even working with students at a college newspaper, for example, um, in place where I previously thought we had students who were, one student who was extremely interested in um, sexual assault on campus and looking at, you know, Title IX and changes in Title IX and how how such incidents are reported, whether it's through the campus or through the police. And so that was one kind of a beat. You know, I'm going to look at the, the national issue of sexual assault on campus and Title IX action, but I'm also going to localize it on my own campus because I have an interest in that. 
Right. Somebody else could have also come up with that idea, but this particular student did. You know, like if you can make government a beat or student government a beat. Go every week, listen to the exchange of uh, commentary and ask questions and follow up. Oh, wait, you're spending $1,000 on X? Why? Has that ever been done before? Did it really get spent on X? So you can have then the distinction between following um, an idea or curiosity and having an agenda or advocating. So you're not going to see me um, marching in an anti-war protest or rally with a peace sign on my T-shirt, right? No, but I am a journalist who has gone out and documented what I call the cost of conflict. So refugees, destruction of infrastructure, post-traumatic stress syndrome. You know, there's a lot of different ways for journalists to look at those stories and document them. But someone else, you, for example, as an activist, your way of addressing some of those issues might be, oh, we have a rally in my town and I'm going to carry a sign and a megaphone and I'm going to advocate on behalf of veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. I might do a series of stories on the effects of conflict on veterans or how are our veterans being provided for, but I would not be marching or advocating for a position. Well, you know, it's really kind of groovy, and it just came to mind while you were speaking, Cheryl, is that, you know, yes, I have, I've certainly been at many, um, people say anti-war rallies I want to call them responsible deployment rallies it's like if we're going to have these if we're going to have these heroes and these brave souls at our beck and call let's not waste this you know that that's my personal sense of it but again that's mm-hmm. uh, I'm 65 years old I had a long time to think about the many wars conflicts and other things but um I, the interesting little do loop that I saw while you were speaking is this Okay, I have a concern. I have a son in the army. He comes home with PTSD. Okay, then and so I have a new interest. Mm-hmm. You are reporting on you report on soldiers and their experiences and uh, what's going on with the VA or whatever. You inform me because I'm now looking for that information. So then, the next time I get the opportunity to participate or even better yet, share you know be on the open mic at an event about responsible deployment, I now can speak with with more authority than just the mom pulling her hair out because her son is sleeping with a gun, a loaded gun under his pillow, right? You informed me, and then you come to my rally, and I inform you. I am part of the story you're telling, but you actually contributed to the story I told. And there's an interesting... Um, I like that kind of rolling notion that we can all sort of grow collectively because you know what I'm saying? It's like the topics of today even are different than the topics of a few years ago, you know, in some cases because there has been responsible journalism. I wanted to point to one other thing you said. Um, 
which is, you know, your experience being embedded and being in various um, military installations, whether it was Afghanistan or Liberia, wherever, you faced, you know, the list of thou shalt not because one guy uh, was a bad actor and Mm -hmm. one person. I use that generically. And I find that interesting because there's just like any other profession, there are, you know, there's good plumbers and not so good plumbers, and there's, you know what I mean? There's good right. lawyers and there's not and so good lawyers. Exactly. Exactly. And so there's bad journalists. It's not, it's not journalism is bad. There are less good journalists sometimes. And so I, I find it important for people not to judge all journalists by one journalist, right? You know, if, still if I... to understand what journalism is because... Sometimes if you see it on TV and you see people talking, they look like anchors behind a desk. But a lot of things which theoretically are intended to look like journalism are actually entertainment. So a lot of the talk shows, um, no, that's not journalism per se. That's a different form. That's the, like, talking opinion (laughs) or entertainment. You know, that the, the, the motivation and the purpose being served would be different from journalism. So right, I think sometimes right. you just need to help, help understand. And also, um, when you're talking about, um, it's always, so I think of myself, you know, I understand, for example, when somebody says, well, I got screwed by a journalist or somebody told a story once and they spelled my name wrong or they got my quote wrong or whatever. So that residual um, anger or mistrust, it, it can be grounded in experience. And, but that, again, goes back to the reason why you want to always be so careful and critical and verify your information. And then me, as a photojournalist or a journalist, when I get into a situation, somebody is giving me that kind of a um, feedback and say, look, but you and I, well, we don't know each other. We have not had an interaction before. So, you know, don't judge me based on this previous encounter. I'm here, right? I'm here now. So I'm here in Liberia documenting the Ebola outbreak, or I'm here at Standing Rock in the dead of winter documenting what's happening. So I've showed up to witness and record and understand what's going on. I'm here now. So, um, yeah. So you, I think, again, to go back to the point we said, we don't have um, specific rules uh, in the sense that doctors or lawyers would, but we have our standards and our code of ethics. And so it's like just what I teach students and what I remember always for myself is, yeah, all the time, you just have to be vigilant and conduct yourself in a professional manner. Uh, because, yeah, you're, you're representing journalism. And which is another reason why you would not be out in the street or, you know, a couple weeks from now, I would not be in D.C. with a T-shirt or a banner or a megaphone because that would, uh, that would taint me as a journalist because they say, oh, you have an agenda. You are advocating for a position. That's activism. And that's tough, right? That's the hard choice that you, that you make. But, you know, nope, I'm a journalist. And therefore, I am not an actor. Well, I think it's important, too, to um, differentiate between what you do 
and which I have so much respect for. Uh, and the fact that people who go to events often write about them. They often share about them. And again, mm-hmm. I want to embrace the whole notion that opinion and first-person opinion, first-person experience is a valuable thing. Um, and, and that it's, you know, our conversation today is not to uh, denigrate that. I actually encourage mm-hmm. that kind of uh, citizen journalism, especially among those who actually participate. You know what I mean? Because um, you will do a wonderful job of witnessing this event, and I will have an experience. And so we could both write, but they would not be, we would not be writing the same thing. The thing I get a little crazy about is that in this uh, socially, social media-driven um, communication world that we live in right now, lots of people are having lots of opinions about things they did not witness and they do not research. And so I just want to be clear for any of our listeners, um, that isn't journalism, nor is it first-person account kind of, you know, sharing. Um, It is or may be opinion, whether they say it is or not. And I think part of uh, it, when I think that way, it helps me not overreact to things Mm -hmm. I read. You know what I mean? If I can sort of go, oh, this guy's got an opinion, all right. It may or may not be like my opinion, okay. He's not giving me any sources. He's not giving me any experience, you know, first-person experience. He's just sharing what he thinks. Okay, good on him. Move on, right? I yeah. don't feel a need and to respond. Is, yeah, and it is subtle, too, because you could have their different so there could be the first-person account or the first-person essay, uh, and that would live on the opinion page. But then there can also be editorials or opinions where you see that someone has actually written a piece from a certain perspective, let's say pro or con something, and has gone out and researched it and put in facts and figures and put in quotes. But it's still an opinion piece because taking a position that... So, yeah, there's a spectrum there uh, of what's Right, possible. right. That's kind of analysis with a conclusion. Sometimes there's analysis and without a conclusion. It's just sort of saying, right. here's, here's the state of this thing right now. And then the, you leave it to the reader to either carry on with the, you know, investigation or to draw their own conclusions. But, and there is opinion with conclusion which I have no problem with analysis and I have no problem with opinion mm-hmm. as long as people understand that's what it is as opposed to um, reporting. Right, news, you know, straight up news, it, yeah. yeah. Right, reporting news. And, and uh, I, if, we, if, if a listener has no other uh, notion here, that's the one thing I want them to walk away with, is that not all, not all communication is equal. All communication is, even has the same intent or purpose. You know, we have no obligation to respond to it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and um, so when I share information on my personal page or when I share information through the coffee party, I have done my darndest to say I've confirmed there is valid there is value here. You know, whether it's an opinion or whether it's facts or whether it's analysis. Um but 
that doesn't make me that doesn't make me a journalist. That makes me a, a, a part of the you know we we call be the media the megaphone for the people where we try to sort out a lot of background noise from what is actually happening. So you had a comment. Go ahead. No, I was saying I was good that earlier you made those distinctions between reporting, analysis, and opinion, and and that's why conversations like this are good. Again, and not everybody is trained up in the distinctions, the practice. So, but that's why I'm, you know, at this point in my career, I continue to practice journalism because I want to continue to be involved and and focus and report and photograph on um, issues and stories that continue to contribute to my overall body of work. But I also think it's important if I'm going to be teaching the next generation of journalists, it's important for me to stay current and to be able to bring that credibility into the classroom. And then I just think at this point in my life and my career, it's the place I want to be because I have, as you said earlier, for yourself as well, you know, you have this long stretch of time when you learned, you know, the hard way, you've made mistakes, you've figured things out or your thought processes evolved, whatever the storyline is, but I've reached a point in my life where I've said, wow, no, now I'm in a position where I have all of this experience and this hard-earned wisdom, and I would like to share it with the next generation of people who want to be journalists, because you have these young people who who are dedicated and who want to make a difference in the world and who want to address issues in the world. And yes, some of them will be called to be activists, but some of them will be called to be journalists. And I want to help those who are being called or you know, maybe even light a fire under someone who hasn't been called yet to understand the principles and the practices of professional journalism and how to do it in a responsible professional manner with the, with that code of ethics. And so we we have that distinction all the time, conflict of interest. You know, I, I would say, no, you cannot go and interview your fellow basketball player. You know, or if you're on the swim team, you're not writing stories about the swim team. That's a conflict of interest. Or no, you can't go ask your professor for a quote if you're in the class. You know, you just have to, everything to teach you to the best of your ability, untainted or to reduce the influence or the perception of influence or bias, right? That's also the distinction, how it looks to people on the outside. So getting students yes. to understand, you know, if you're the opinion page editor, you don't have a Trump or Bernie or a Hillary sticker, you know, on your car or your computer or a T-shirt. No, you don't advocate a political position in that position. So, and it, sometimes it's just, especially when you're learning, you don't, you doing this show, we're hoping to educate and inform people and help them understand some distinctions better. And in the classroom, yes. I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying to help them understand the code of ethics and the practice and the purpose of responsible, committed journalism, particularly in a democracy, you know, the fourth estate, you know, the role that we have holds others accountable. That's what's so important. But you have to hold yourself as a journalist with very strong standards as well, which is why you can't just be 
great. That's great. That's great. So, you know, just like people can be citizen journalists and it can be valid, right? We've talked about the what feels to us to meet the criteria for a valid contribution versus what's, you know, just communication. I also feel like uh, a citizen educator, you know, in the sense that mm-hmm. while you actually teach people, you know, you know the rules of the road, you can evaluate their progress, you can um, assist them in their that whole maturation process from not knowing what journalism is to being a journalist, right? I, on the other hand, cannot educate. This is my opinion. The way to have me not finish reading something is for someone to say, educate yourself, right? I just move on to the next comment or I just move on to the next article because what I try to do and I think the whole Be the Media Project tries to do is to offer the opportunity to see something, right? And so today... People get to see Cheryl Hatch, international photojournalist reporter uh, who has spent time in half a dozen different, um, uh, you know, whether it was Agence France Press or AP or, you know, the local newspaper or the Christian Science Monitor or wherever, all the places your work has been, right? Mm -hmm. You get to hear you, the educator, helping us understand now, all I get to do is say, here's an opportunity. <laughs> you know, right. I am not the educator here. <laughs> I am, am the opener, opener of a door through which people can choose to peek. And I, I think that that's important, too. That's what, to me, a citizen educator is, just like a citizen journalist is someone who shares something they've experienced. And so today I get to share my experience of journalism through your eyes. And I think those are, again, important distinctions, you know. And the fourth estate, I, I don't even know how many people don't know what that means anymore. <laughs> so I, I'm, uh, <laughs> I guess you could share that real quickly for those of our, our listeners who do not know. Uh, and if you uh, – I would hope that people listening would have Googled it as they listened already. But go ahead. <laughs> Tell us about well, that. Well, no, so quickly, you have, you have the executive, the president, the legislative, the Congress and Senate, and the judicial, the court system. And so those were the three estates, as they were the fourth estate being the press, which should be there. It's not officially part of the government, but it's there as a watchdog and a witness with the objective of measuring, evaluating, researching, and, you know, calling people out when they're not doing what they said they were going to do or they're not acting in a transparent and legal manner. So the fourth estate is, was intended as this watchdog and uh, over the powers that be uh, to inform citizens. And then the citizens' responsibility is to read from multiple or listen to multiple perspectives and media and make decisions. You know, do I, uh, this president said he, she would do this. Did he, she do that? Did he, she do it in a legal manner? So, yeah, fourth estate is the watchdog and the witness to uh, power and governments, and, but also even at the community level. So. Yes, yes, especially at the community level. It's, it's amazing right. to me how many... Uh, in a city government, how many times people loop through the same, <laughs> I swear.
swear they go through the labyrinth and come out the same place and do it again. <laughs> it's crazy mm-hmm. making. But, yeah, I've always considered the fourth estate sort of the public memory and the public consciousness. You know, so there's there's not only an obligation to uh, witness the story and report on the story, but it's to remind people, hey, does anybody remember who Judith Miller was? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or, hey, right. Scooter Libby ring a bell. <laughs> so uh, I think that that's also a legitimate part of journalism is to not forget its own history or to not, you know, to refer back to itself. Uh, and I think that that's important. So. Anyways, so we're coming up to the end of our time, and we have people listening, but no one has raised their hand. And so uh, I guess if there was some kind of last message you would like to leave or um, it, it, something you couldn't figure out a way to bring it up, but it came to mind during the course of our conversation, um, what do you think that might be? Well, just to remind people that uh, people who practice journalism, I alluded to it earlier, you know, they are, when it's being practiced well and professionally, they, it is for me, it's a calling. I consider it a noble profession. I consider it an important part of our democracy. And also, it's, you know, again, in this time when the media has been threatened and denigrated, I think it's important to remember that people put it on the line to bring the news. And I'm thinking particularly, you know, we saw the count of how many journalists were killed last year all around the world. And and then I remember my my friend, uh, David Gilkey, who was a journalist, a photojournalist at National Public Radio, who was murdered in Afghanistan June 5th, uh, 2016. So just to get people to stop and think for a moment that journalists are human beings with families, with personal lives who have answered this call and the majority of them take the responsibility of being a witness and a truth teller very seriously and are willing to put their lives and their reputations on the line to inform the public. So that's uh, And we need, we need good journalists, so that's why I'm in the classroom now, to help educate the next generation of journalists. Excellent. You know, thank you very much for bringing up David Gilkey. He was also a friend of ours and uh, is hugely missed. I know that that he's certainly not the first um, uh, peer friend that has been killed uh, in the line of of duty, so to speak, but um, this one's very recent and very raw. So thank you for being brave enough to bring him up and, and giving a shout out to this remarkable man. Um, and I want to thank you, Cheryl, for taking the time. I know that you're uh, between Standing Rock and getting yourself uh, home. You're taking a little time off on the Rhode Island shore and um, to let us break into your vacation, so to speak, is uh, and your rewarming period. I know that you were frozen <laughs> up there. <laughs> to spend an Fought hour out. with us is greatly, greatly appreciated. Always for you, Janine. It's a good, it's a good conversation. I think it's an important one. And um, thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. So my final reminder to everyone is that Coffee Party USA brings you be the media but we can't do it by ourselves we are an all-volunteer 
totally member-supported organization. Citizens United did not benefit us. There is no sugar daddy and no uh, hidden dollar person behind the scenes, I promise. So if you'd like to support this or other Be The Media projects, you can become an annual member or you can become a monthly sustaining member. Just go to www.coffeepartyusa.com and click the big red button. And with that, I'm going to say thanks for joining us. Thank you, Cheryl Hatch, and Coffee Party on. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling.